fasting and I felt faint all morning. Yeah. I could just drop. So it's just, no, yeah. Time to drop the facade and just have a banana. Alright. Let's go. Hey, we're nothing if not professional here. Alright. Great to see you all here this morning. Oh my gosh, Raphael and Patricia, thank you for that honour of dedicating Zoe. And um, if you'd like your child to be dedicated, come and see us. Um, the Smiths were also going to do it this morning, but apparently Nate was away with work. Good to see you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hey, it is great to see all the different ministries at the church just kicking off. Um, worship night was amazing. We just had this influx of young adults at evening, so it's beautiful to see these um, kind of 18 to 30 year olds just passionately wanting to follow the Lord. Um, Alpha is going great. It's probably too late to join Alpha now. Come and see me if you really want to do it, but we're probably a little bit too far in. And just so nice to hear all the reports back about all the life groups going. Um, apparently Joey led the men's group brilliantly the other night, and there was heaps of dads there, so well done. Alright, I just want to start by reading to you the entire Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> We've got to stop making that joke, because it's kind of not funny anymore, is it? Um, we are doing a series on what did Jesus teach. Uh, this is about discipleship. This is about having his life formed within us. And the only way that that can happen is if we know what he requires of our lives. Uh, we had a brilliant message from Greg, one of our elders, last Sunday. And just so you know, if you miss a week, all of our sermons go up on the website and Spotify. Um, and we are recording and they're going up on Facebook later on the day. So stay on track with us. But Greg exhorted us that in order to be salt and light in the world, we need to have Christ formed within us. Um, you know, sometimes we think of salt and light like it's out there somewhere, but I think what Greg did so helpfully, he said, this relates to the fact that Jesus has just done the Beatitudes, right? He has just described what the life in the kingdom of God looks like. And that's how we become salt and light, as the life of Christ forms within us. Um, and then that encouragement, we've got to engage with Jesus. We can't be spectators. So we allow the Beatitudes, amongst other things, to displace our cultural allegiances. You know, to greed and to violence and to exerting our will the whole time. And the life of Christ begins to get formed within us. So I hope that's gone well the last week. And, and look, it would be tragic if we got to the end of this series and none of us would say that these things haven't begun to form in a deeper way within us. Um, hopefully that desire to make peace is stirring within you. Hopefully that desire to show mercy, to be meek, uh, is, is stirring within. Alright, let's have a look at the next section. It's probably the most difficult section of the sermon. Um, let's read the first bit of it, Matthew 5, 17 to 24. Uh, if you've got a Bible, now would be a good time to use it. Alright, verse 17. Do not think, says Jesus, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Alright, we're, we're in this, this section. That, that's big stuff, right? Jesus is going to go after some pretty hard conditions of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said, I think this is probably the most difficult section that we might wrestle with. It talks about our righteousness needing to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And we get these very challenging teachings on murder and anger coming up, marriage and last broken down relationships. And the bar for righteousness seems so incredibly high, does it not? You know, it's not just murder, it's anger that is a massive issue in our lives. And so it seems like this bar, it's almost like how Jesus would we ever reach this? And I think what Jesus is doing in this section is getting to the reality of the human condition. He is going after what really diminishes a human life and stops us from flourishing or thriving. If the kingdom that he is bringing from heaven down to earth is about wholeness and about peace and about life, then what are the things that reduce our humanity? As image bearers of God, what stuffs our lives up? And gosh, don't we have a tremendous capacity to make a mess? So what are the big issues of life that will either mean you are a flourishing human being or you become a counterfeit of your true humanity? So what do I mean by that? Um, Victoria and her sister who's here from New York at the moment were watching a show the other night called Inventing Anna on Netflix. Not sure yes, you're watching that, aren't you? I can tell. And uh, somehow I got through an entire episode of the show. But anyhow, there was this scene between a journalist and a fashion designer and basically straight away he identifies that her clothes are cheap knockoffs of expensive brands. Um, now to an untrained eye, she probably looked beautifully dressed like she was in designer clothes, but to him who knew what was looking, he realised that the seams didn't quite line up, that the fabric was a little bit cheaper than what designer stuff is. So while her clothes looked like the real thing, they are actually a counterfeit version of real designer stuff. And I want to say, this morning, I think modern life, dare I say, even much of our own lives can become counterfeit to the real thing that God created us to be. We become a cheap knockoff of who God intends us to be. 
And what Jesus is going to do in this section is he's going to help us go beyond just what the legal requirements or laws we may try to follow in order to be seen to be doing the right thing to the actual heart of the matter. You know, what's the stuff that God really wants to go after that can diminish our lives? Are you with me? Yeah. So Jesus is so, so for you in this section. Right? It can seem like hard teaching, but he is so, so for you. He wants you to flourish. Now, it might seem like tough teachings, but he wants you to avoid the pitfalls of the broken inner life. You see, what Jesus is doing, he is forming a new humanity. That's what the kingdom of heaven is about. That a whole new humanity, humanity a whole new way of living might emerge on this earth that so clearly has the fingerprints of the kingdom of God upon it. And so he wants us to avoid just having the appearance of righteousness, but to actually develop true inner righteousness. So Jesus addresses the big things in this next section. And we'll go into more detail on some of them in the following weeks. Right? Jesus is going to say, don't just murder, not murder. Don't be angry. You know, Jesus is going to say, don't just divorce or commit adultery, but watch out for a life that gets saturated in lust. Right? Not just about swearing oaths, but, but fundamentally let your truth, let your speech be truthful. Right? Don't just limit your retaliation, but actually allow your heart to be conditioned that you might begin to love your enemies and go the extra mile. Now, when we think of Jesus' message, what he taught, we often think of love and forgiveness and mercy, but I wonder if you think of him as a preacher of righteousness. You know, Jesus' heart is for righteousness amongst his followers. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So what is this? You know, maybe we think of righteousness as someone who's just very serious about their life, or maybe a rule-keeping existence, or a holier-than-thou type existence. Um, but what Jesus demands and exalts is righteousness for those who might follow him. Now, we've already seen this in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus has said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Right? Blessed are those whose appetites are transformed and they go after God's heart. Right? Jesus has said, Blessed are those who, because of righteousness, as we are persecuted because of righteousness, right? Blessed are those who, because of this righteousness, begin to cop it from the rest of the world for how they live. And now today, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is righteousness? And why is it so important in understanding how we might flourish? And how we might avoid the things that will diminish us. Well, righteousness is a relational word. I think that might be the next slide. Righteousness is a relational word. Uh, its meaning is right relationship. Being in sync with someone. No outstanding issues or resentments or debts owed. If you have a righteous relationship with someone, you're all good, man. You know what I mean? This is about having right relatedness. So if I hurt Victoria's feelings, obviously this is a you know far-fetched scenario. Never. 
we are no longer righteous. Okay? We're no longer righteous because we've got something that's in between us. But if Victoria forgives me, we become righteous again. Okay? We have our relationship restored. So yes, righteousness is about morally right behaviour, a way of ethical living. But notice that when Jesus expands on what righteousness looks like, every single bit of it relates to our relationships to others. Okay, that's why Jesus goes after anger. That's why Jesus goes after lust. That's why Jesus goes after our falling out with other people. So righteousness is not just an ethical philosophy. It is grounded in the nitty gritty, earthy reality of how we relate to one another. So Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now the deeper thing in the New Testament, as we know, is that we have what's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. We are, we are declared righteous by God, by what Jesus has done on the cross. The thing that makes our relationship right with God is the gift of forgiveness that we have not earned. That's why Paul says in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then he goes on to say, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Are you still with me? Right? Paul is saying, in the gospel... God's way of bringing righteousness, God's way of bringing a right relationship between Him and us has been revealed. You and God can be all good because He has cleared out in the relationship all the things that the debts that we owe against Him. Our sin on the cross. So obviously Jesus in His ethical teaching is going to expound then on what it looks like to have right relationship. Now that we can have right relationship with God, given to us as a gift, what does right relatedness look like in our relationships? Now in this section, Jesus for the first time makes himself the centre of the message. I have come. Four times. I have come. Or but I tell you. No appeal to higher authority. This is the word of God speaking to us. And he begins to redefine the meaning of the law. I have come not to abolish all the stuff from the Old Testament, but I've come to fulfill its true meaning, its true inherent value. Now this is cool because clearly in what Jesus is about to teach, he's upsetting the old order of things. But he says, you must not ever think that I've come to abolish. I have come to fulfill God's original intent for the law. Now, that's clearer for us, isn't it, on what it means when he says, I've come to fulfill the prophets. You know, we did a whole section, a whole sermon series in Isaiah last year. And I think it's 14 times alone in Matthew's Gospel, the author Matthew stops and says, Jesus just did something, that's a fulfillment of one of the prophets, right? Text after text after text, Jesus is fulfilling the prophets. But he has come not just to fulfill the prophets, but also the law. Now, most of you know bits of the law from the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments. Um, so we're going to take out some paper. I'm going to get you to write down the Ten Commandments. And you've got 60 seconds. I'm sure you know some of them. 
Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's possessions. And all these laws are given so that society might be governed in a way that reduces harm and that it might flourish, right? If we were to do those things, if we live by the Ten Commandments, it's a good thing at a base level. But do you see what Jesus is doing? He wants us to go further. He wants us to go deeper and deal with the underlying conditions of the human heart. Jesus is saying, you could keep the law and you can look like you are living an ethical life, but what about the inner condition of your life that really governs your reality, your day-to-day? That's what the Pharisees began to be criticised for by Jesus. Outwardly, they kept the commandments. They never murdered, they never um, lied, they let all the exterior stuff, they were spot on. But their hearts were not following the intent of the law. So Jesus goes after the true meaning of the law. So the law is not meant just to restrain chaos or to restrain evil. What God had always intended is that this law might bring right relatedness to the human relationships and towards God. Let me say that again. It wasn't meant just for restraining chaos or evil, but for bringing right relatedness to human relationships and towards God. So we're just doing one of the examples today. And we'll do the other fulfillers in the next few weeks. But Jesus says, verse 21, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So how might your righteousness go beyond that of the Pharisees and the scribes? Well, you might keep the law by going through this life never murdering anyone... But Jesus is saying, what good is your fulfilling of the law if actually on the inside your life is riddled with anger and resentment and bitterness? Right? That would be a counterfeit life. It may look good on the outside. It might look like you're living a righteous existence. But what if the reality of your inside is a cheap knockoff of what God really wants to do with you. God desires righteousness. God desires right relatedness in your relationships and inner being. So you heard that it was said, and then Jesus said, but I say to you, and what I want to say is, come on Jesus, go after me. Get the condition of my heart. Change me from the inside. I don't want to go through this life full of anger and resentment, looking good on the outside, where I'm just fuming at everyone else because of the way that they're treated me. Right? Go beyond the law and go after what you have created before. A clean heart and right relationships. And that's why Jesus says this relates to inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom is not about external conformity to the law, but to right relationships, to your heart that he wants. Remember Christmas, Matthew 1? The angel appears to Joseph, says to Mary, give birth to this son, name him Jesus. And Jesus, the name means he will save his people from their sins. On the cross, 
Absolutely. Jesus saves you from your sins. But in his teachings, in the Sermon on the Mount, he is saving us from our sins. Do you agree? Right? On the cross, we get imputed righteousness, a gift, right relationship with God through faith. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is also saving us from our sins. He is saving us from the stuff that diminishes our lives, like anger and lust and seeking revenge. Amen? Now just to close, in the Greek, there's two different words that are translated as anger. The first is thumos, and in kind of Greek literature, thumos is used to describe a flame that comes to draw to, to, to dry straw, right? Quickly combustible, but then easily goes out. The second word we translate as anger from the Greek is orge. And that's an anger that is settled in our hearts and minds. Anger that we, we nurse to keep warm. Yeah? Jesus goes after all day. That's the word he uses in this sermon. You know, in the Gospels, we see Jesus get thumos, turning over the table of money makers in the temple. And there's probably good reasons in your life to be angry. To feel anger, injustice, or wrongdoing, or things that have been done against you. But the issue for Jesus is what do we do with that anger? Do we let it stew? Do we lie in bed at night having endless conversations? Am I the only one who does that? You should hear how witty and sharp-minded I am when I roll around in bed. And then, of course, it can bubble out so that we hurt other people through gossip and put-downs and, and, and even violence. So Jesus does the application for us. He teaches us how to deal with it. He says, verse 23, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You know, that's the natural implication of Jesus dealing with our inner condition. Stop your worship and go and be reconciled. This is what righteousness looks like. Go and fix up those relationships before you give your pious praise. Again, what is righteousness? It is right relatedness to each other. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in The Cost of Discipleship that when I erect a barrier between you and me, I'm actually erecting a barrier between God and I. So we leave the holy pretenses behind until you are first willing to reconcile with a brother or sister. Now I'm aware of the many challenges that Jesus raises and we've not even got to the section in the coming weeks on marriage, divorce and revenge and that's going to stir up all kinds of goodies. But my guess is that even when it comes to anger, you've got lots of what ifs, but what ifs, Jesus? You know, what if I should be angry? What if the other person won't respond? What if the other person has died? What if I've been the victim of an unspeakable crime? You know, you know what if, what if, what if? You know, and I'll confess, I've got broken and strained relationships in my life. You know, some I've tried to restore. If I'm honest, there's some that I've not probably done enough. I'm quite good at nursing a little bit of anger. A little bit of resentment. 
But I need to know that in this section, Jesus is so, so for me. He wants this new life of the kingdom to form within me. And if we let all of the what-if questions constantly get in the way, we will never get to the life of the kingdom. So as a coming to land, are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Because I think it's beginning to take shape what that might look like. Hungering and thirsting for peacemaking and right relatedness. There is too much at stake to just acknowledge this teaching on murder and anger and reconciliation and move on. Hopefully it's beginning to take shape what it would look like in your life. And in doing so, we must allow the Spirit of God to come in and begin to renew our humanity. So you may get to the end of your life and never have murdered anyone. I assume that would be a good thing. But too many of us allow anger and resentment and bitterness to consume our humanity and diminish our lives. Jesus is calling you higher. Jesus has come to move you into the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Amen. Let's stand together.